This is exciting news. That means that we will be able to move everybody up in the queue. Better than expected vaccine effectiveness. Plus, how to book your shot and when. Extending the pandemic rent freeze. We're strengthening the law to stop rent evictions. A planned break for tenants and new requirements for landlords. And a spotlight on urban salmon. When I realized that there would be salmon in the, in the city, right in our backyard, that was just like, whoa. A documentary filmmaker turns his lens on the wild neighbors many don't even know are there. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. If everything goes according to plan, everyone in BC should have their first dose of COVID-19 vaccine by the end of July. That optimistic news from health officials today as they detailed why they're accelerating the mass vaccination rollout for BC, starting with BC seniors. Richard Zussman reports. How are you feeling today, Mom? Good. This is as up close and personal as Shirley McDonald gets with anyone. A visit through glass with her daughter. But soon, the 90-year-old will have someone else close by. Someone giving her the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm looking forward to being able, I think it's over a year since I've been in a store or in a, someone else's home. The province unveiling details Monday on how the vaccination plan will work for those 80 plus. Starting this week, Seniors and high-risk residents in independent living and supportive housing will get immunized. So will home care support clients. The shots will come to them. We will have mobile units. Uh, it will be organized in order to optimize the, the use of vaccine and not incur any wastage. Then by mid-March, the vaccine coming for Indigenous people, 65 years and older, and non-Indigenous seniors, 80+. plus. Starting next week, eligible seniors can call to get their appointment. The week of March 8th, 90-plus group are eligible to call and then get the shot the next week. Then, on March 15th, seniors 85-plus can call for a vaccine that they'll receive the next week. And finally, starting March 22nd, seniors born in or before 1941. We want everyone to understand that they don't have to rush to be the first caller. They will get their vaccine. They will get it in their community. For those 79 years old and younger, they will have to register for the vaccine, but no details on that on Monday. There is a guarantee from the province, though, that everyone will have access to either a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. But some will be offered AstraZeneca, especially non-health-related essential workers, from police officers to teachers to postal workers, and they can get the shot before their age demographic. We will be looking at that in some detail and being able to provide um, a risk-based approach to those populations as well as we learn more about how much vaccine we're getting when. BC is also extending the gap between first and second doses from 49 days to 112. This combined with new vaccines means almost everyone should get a first shot earlier. It will likely result in by, by mid to late July that we will have been able to give a first dose to everybody in our population. And even though it's still months away, it's a sense life will get back to some semblance of normal earlier than expected. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we have the latest COVID-19 numbers for the last three counting periods. We have 1,478 new cases, which brings our provincial total to 80,672. Eight more people have died, which means we have now lost 1,363 people to complications of the virus. 
236 people are in hospital, 65 in the ICU. 74,776 are recovered, which leaves us with 4,464 active cases and just over 8,200 people in self-isolation. When it comes to vaccinations, 191,804 first doses have been administered. 83,877 second doses. And finally, there are 42 new cases involving variants of concern. That brings that total to 158. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for more. Keith, there is another reason the vaccination line uh, will soon be moving faster, at least we hope so. Yeah, Richard referred to it in his story. A lot of going on today, folks. This is the most optimistic briefing we've had since the pandemic began. The light at the end of the tunnel just got a lot brighter. And the big change today, and I don't think anybody saw this coming, Dr. Henry had hinted before she was going to change the gap between the first dose and the second dose, which had been 42 days, uh, but nobody saw going to 112 days. That's huge. Four-month gap. That means literally hundreds of thousands or more people can get the first dose much earlier than what had been anticipated just a few days ago. Go, Dr. Henry outlining the change today. We are now extending the interval between our first dose and the second booster dose of the vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, as well as the AstraZeneca vaccine, to four months or 16 weeks. In combination with the new uh, vaccines that we have available, this gives us a very important and very real benefit to everybody here in BC. That means we can move everybody up the list and more people will be protected sooner. So lots of very good news today, but lurking in the background, of course, are those variants of concern, different uh, viruses. As you mentioned, so 42 more cases reported over the weekend. The good news is, though, folks, those are not all active cases. We've only got 10 active cases out of, out of 158. That's a very good number to, uh, to hopefully we continue on that pace because we're doing much better when it comes to the variants than a lot of other jurisdictions. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. And the briefings today came with a warning that scammers are already trying to capitalize on COVID-19. Dr. Penny Ballum urging seniors to be vigilant about who's calling them during the vaccine rollout. And just a thing to remember, because we have had some instances of phishing already, um, health authority call centers will never ask for your social insurance number, your driver's license, any banking information your credit card, that will not happen. And if our seniors find themselves on a phone call where people are asking them that, they're on the wrong phone call. And then they're on the wrong number and they need to get off the call and, and find out the right number to call because that will not happen. Now, besides seniors, the province's largest concentration of homeless and disadvantaged people has been a top vaccination priority. Vancouver's downtown east side is in the middle of a major outreach and vaccination program. But there are concerns about a program to pay people $5 once they get their shot. Imadagahi reports. We are learning from multiple sources about a program that is offering homeless people $5 cash to get their COVID-19 vaccine. Vaccinations of the homeless population were top priority for the government and began in mid-January. Now we're learning the usual incentive of coffee and snacks turned into cash for those walking up to vaccination sites in the downtown east side. The question now may be one of optics. Should the public have known about the program, essentially paying the homeless to be vaccinated? When we do um, immunization for the flu, for example, we provide coffee and some food and other things 
but that is not possible right now. So what we've been doing in some cases is offering uh, uh, small compensation so people can go and get coffee afterwards. So like in that case, it's $5 or gift cards. We don't have any concerns um, with that $5 incentive. Um, the threat of COVID-19 is so grave and so ever-present for our community um, that we really can be pulling out all the stops to make sure the more vulnerable to worse health outcomes are vaccinated. This is very practical uh, as we do public health uh, in uh, areas of the province. We're going to try and find ways to incentivize people to engage, and it's a challenge. The health minister left the door open in response to our question if there will be similar incentives offered to other sections of the public, perhaps those that have reservations about getting their COVID-19 vaccine in the future. He also added there have been more than 5,500 homeless people on the downtown east side that have been vaccinated to date and more than 2,200 staff at resource centres here. Amaragahi, Global News. It was religious rights versus public safety in B.C. Supreme Court today as a number of faith groups challenged the public health order prohibiting in-person services. Ted Chernecki reports. The peace of God cannot stop it. Anti-pandemic protesters of several stripes were on hand for much of today on the steps of the B.C. Supreme Court. Among them, Christians who support the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, as it argues that B.C.'s ban on religious gatherings is a violation of Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms and therefore unconstitutional. Are you Judases or Peters? While they preached to the converted on the outside, inside, Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson wanted a legal argument as to why B.C.'s top health officer doesn't have the right to impose restrictions if it's for the greater good. A constitutional lawyer believes Dr. Henry isn't getting the legal advice she needs. You can't use the excuse of an isolated instance in a religious community to justify depriving all the religious communities of their right to meet in person indoors. The court heard how churches have been more than careful, limiting attendance to 50 persons, pre-registering those who do attend, and of course physical distancing and increased sanitation measures. Affidavits were introduced where parishioners told of the loneliness, depression, anxiety and fear that they were experiencing at a time when support is paramount. The Crown is arguing that the churches did not use provisions to challenge BC's health rulings, and given the dramatic increase in COVID cases in November, new measures were required, especially for indoor gatherings lasting more than 15 minutes. It argues the province did consult with the religious groups. I want to also emphasize, though, that we're reaching out to faith leaders as we have from the beginning of the pandemic. Premier Horgan has done this again and again and again. You can't discriminate against the religious group. You have to be fair, you have to be equal, and as long as everybody's following COVID protocols, that's the best everyone and anybody can do. In Alberta, there have been protests outside the Remand Centre in Edmonton, where Pastor James Coates is being held in custody after being charged with breaking COVID restrictions. His Grace Life Church response was to hold another illegal service yesterday. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Police are saying very little about a disturbing case in the Fraser Valley. An 11-year-old boy is in hospital and not expected to survive. And now the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is involved. Aaron MacArthur reports. Last Friday at about 5 p.m., Agassiz RCMP members were called here to the Skelet's First Nation to assist BC ambulance crews for a child in medical distress. 
An 11-year-old boy was rushed to hospital in critical condition and according to the RCMP is not expected to survive. Agassiz RCMP have called in IHIT now to take charge of the investigation. We spoke to a few members of the community who say this is devastating and, and really taking a toll on a small First Nations here close to Harrison Mills. We spoke to Grand Chief Clarence Pena over the phone this afternoon and he said the RCMP has provided next to no information about what the homicide team is doing here and it is far too premature to speculate about anything at this point. We reached out to both the RCMP and the integrated homicide team specifically. So far, they haven't responded to our request for an interview. Erin MacArthur, Global News. Six weeks after her disappearance, the family of Trina Hunt say they're holding on to hope. She needs to just come home. If Trina is listening to this, um, I hope she knows how much we love her and we cherish her and we value her and she is an integral part of our lives. Hunt was last seen at her Port Moody home in the early morning of January 18th. Despite a huge search effort involving police and volunteers, there's been no sign of her. Speaking publicly for the first time, her family calls her disappearance unimaginable. They've put a banner on a Port Moody overpass asking for any, any tips to help find her. There is a hole in our hearts without Trina here. We need answers, we need closure, we need Trina. We will not stop until we find her. We will not give up hope. The family has also launched an online fundraising campaign to pay for costs associated with the search. It would mean housing security for thousands of B.C. renters. The Horgan government's plan to crack down on false rent evictions and freeze rent until 2022. That's next on the News Hour. Monarchy in decline. A new survey shows royal affection is slipping, but cutting ties with the Queen is complicated. Coming up on the News Hour. And the dream of a gondola ride up Burnaby Mountain gets a step closer to reality with some major hurdles still ahead. That's later as well. Right now, though, the provincial government has announced plans to extend the current freeze on residential rent hikes for all of 2021. Sarah McDonald is live now with more on this. Sarah, right now it's set to expire in July. Obviously, it, the new regulations or the new rules wouldn't sit too well with landlords, but renters would be happy about this. Yeah, exactly, Chris. A lot of opinions on this. As you mentioned, the province is looking to extend that pandemic rental rate freeze until at least the end of the year, tabling legislation that, if passed, would freeze those rental rates until at least the end of 2021 and also implement other protections for renters. Those changes would cap future rent increases to the rate of inflation, change the rent resolution process, and also stop so-called rent evictions not conducted in good faith. That was a major talking point at today's announcement from the province, this new legislation would require landlords to make an application that would then have to be approved by the residential tenancy branch to prove they have no other choice but to terminate a tenancy agreement in order to undergo substantial renovations. It just changes the onus a little bit so that the the evidence of the renovation has to come first as opposed to the tenant getting evicted and then them having to fight after the fact to try and prove that the, the renovation wasn't uh, so large that they needed to lose their home. With uh, this uh, extension, it'll mean that landlords 
in British Columbia really uh, won't have an opportunity for uh, to increase rents for almost two years, which is uh, clearly a huge problem when you look at expenses uh, like taxes and insurance, etc., increasing exp exponentially. And that legislation, if passed, would come into effect on July 1st, uh, and it would essentially render any prior notices of rental increases to tenants already issued ineffective. Chris Sophie. All right. Thanks, Sarah. City of Vancouver is getting a financial boost from Ottawa to help address the homelessness crisis. The federal government is allocating $51.5 million of previously announced funds to create new housing for Vancouver's vulnerable homeless population. The city says it's using some of the money to buy the Days Inn Hotel on Kingsway, a move that's expected to provide 65 people with housing. This funding will be used to convert existing buildings and will create a total of up to 135 new affordable housing units. As in, in, intended under the, under the Rapid Housing Initiative, Vancouver will focus on creating more housing for Canadians in severe housing need. These include people who are experiencing homelessness or who are at risk of experiencing homelessness with particular attention given to women and indigenous peoples. Or what's uh, brand new today is that we're using a portion of the 51.5 million to actually purchase a property uh, that will be uh, renovated and will house 65 folks. So it's gone from uh, the theoretical discussion about an amazing new program to actually hitting hitting the ground. Um, what I think is, is also important is, is the partnership with the province that will provide the wraparound services. So this is uh, now a reality with uh, doors open in November. Ottawa's rapid housing program announced last year is projected to create 3,000 new affordable housing units across Canada at a cost of $1 billion. The money must be committed by the end of this month. Straight ahead, a new tactic by Meng Wanzhou to fight her extradition. We're confident that the court will reach the same conclusion we have. The bank documents her lawyers say help prove her case. Also tonight, how Project Hope gives ALS patients a chance at a better quality of life. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge. Just seeing some minor congestion southbound on McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Lawyers for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou are trying to cast doubt about who knew what as they continue their fight in a Vancouver court against her extradition to the U.S. Meng is accused of lying to bank executives about Huawei's business dealings in Iran, which violates U.S. sanctions. But her lawyers are arguing the bank knew about that connection all along. Meng Wanzhou's defense team says HSBC had to have known about Huawei's financial control over subsidiary Skycom. The Huawei executive is accused of lying to the bank about the relationship, essentially tricking HSBC into violating U.S. sanctions in Iran. HSBC uh, knew all along about the relationship between Huawei and Skycom, Huawei and Canicula, that there was no um, attempt to mislead them and that the suggestion on the part of the Trump administration and, and the United States 
that um, that uh, that they were misled is wrong and it's badly wrong. Defense wants documents admitted in the extradition hearing to make this argument, but Crown says that should be saved for a trial in the U.S. Immigration attorney Richard Curlin agrees. Unfortunately, it's an extradition case. Uh, who knew what and when is better suited to an actual trial, the criminal trial, rather than the lower standard extradition case. Mung was arrested at YVR back in December 2018 at the request of the U.S. Defense is expected to argue Mung's rights were violated when CBSA questioned her for three hours and that former President Donald Trump saw her as a bargaining chip in trade talks with China. Meanwhile, a Huawei spokesperson says there have been no talks so far with the Biden administration on her release. For now, their focus is on the hearing. The evidence that we're presenting here is quite compelling and that the the, the case that the Trump administration uh, manufactured is falling apart and that the new administration uh, is going to find it very difficult to defend the actions of their predecessor administration and that it's something that they may at some point feel that they need to uh, fix. Mong has been under partial house arrest in her Vancouver mansion. She has denied all allegations of fraud. The hearing is expected to stretch into May. Grace Key, Global News. The mother of 20-year-old Hudson Brooks took the stand on the first day of a coroner's inquest into her son's police shooting death. Brooks was nearly naked when he got into a confrontation with RCMP outside the South Surrey detachment in July of 2015. Police claim he was acting erratically and lunged at an officer when she fatally shot him. An RCMP constable originally faced aggravated assault with a weapon charges in his death, but Crown stayed the charges in September of 2019 when a follow-up investigation revealed new evidence that did not support prosecution. The coroner and a jury are hearing evidence from witnesses under oath to determine the facts surrounding Brooks's death. Up ahead, a dose of hope for the U.S. The J&J vaccine is just as effective as the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. The first of millions of vials being shipped. Also coming up, the preferred route for a new gondola going up to SFU and why they're still a long way from selling tickets. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind that overnight maintenance causes lane closures in both directions between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Kermat Collision and Autoglass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage, and Kermat donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermat Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Prince Edward Island has entered lockdown as the province tries to contain two COVID-19 outbreaks. The province's top doctor says the measure will allow public health officials to ramp up testing and contact tracing. PEI has seen a spike with more than a dozen cases over five days. The three-day lockdown is in addition to the province's circuit breaker measures, which cut store and gym capacity in half while banning indoor dining. Those restrictions will remain in place for at least two weeks. And two regions in Ontario are also back into lockdown. Ontario's chief medical health officer says Thunder Bay and Simcoe Muskoka health units have seen rising infections driven in part by transmission of COVID-19 variants. The move means more stringent public health measures in those regions. The United States is preparing to offer up the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to millions of Americans with first doses administered as early as Tuesday. 
But there is still a lot of concern about the growing number of cases linked to variant strains of the virus. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. We expect to have almost 4 million doses out within the next 24 to 48 hours. After being given a green light on the weekend, Johnson & Johnson almost immediately began shipping its product to augment a vaccine effort in which 75 million Americans have already received a shot. Knowing that we've got a safe and effective single-shot option uh, that doesn't require extensive refrigeration should help that distribution. It's a single shot that goes twice as far, offering near-total prevention against hospitalization and death, while proving effective against variants, including the one detected in South Africa, that are of growing concern to the Centers for Disease Control. At this level of cases with variants spreading, we stand to completely lose the hard-earned ground we have gained. A steep decline in cases has stalled. Daily numbers are still higher than last summer's peak, and that's worrying for disease experts. We need to vaccinate as best as we can right now and get the maximum coverage that we can. Adding to that concern, more people being allowed to move about, while fewer people get tested. If we did see another surge, we're never going to be able to track it, and we are not out of the woods yet. But hesitancy still exists, leaving doctors to plead with Americans to get whichever shot is made available and not compare each vaccine's numbers. The J&J vaccine is just as effective as the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine at preventing the more serious cases. 100 million doses are expected to be made available by summer. It is a dose of good news that comes with a warning about the consequences of complacency. We cannot be resigned to 70,000 cases a day, 2,000 daily deaths. Big numbers serving as a reminder to not give up the fight when so much still hangs on the line. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. ALS is a devastating diagnosis. The disease robs patients of the ability to move, to eat, and eventually to breathe. There is no cure, and here in B.C., very few options to even participate in drug trials. Michael Newman looks at the work being done to change that. It is one of the hardest and surprising diagnoses to get at any age, but especially at 30. To learn you have ALS, a fatal neurodegenerative disease that will steal your quality of life before it ends your life. After a British Columbian is diagnosed with ALS, they don't have a lot to be hopeful for. The doctors can support you through your decline. But what, what motivates somebody to get up every day and try to fight this disease? It, it's, it's insurmountable. With no cure to this quickly progressing disease, most ALS patients like Brad look to being part of clinical trials as their only option to potentially improve their condition. The problem is, since there is nothing offered in BC, they have to travel to California, Alberta, or as far as Ontario to participate. Filled with exorbitant expenses and extreme logistical challenges that are disheartening to those with limited mobility. And they come basically but Brad and the ALS Society are hoping to change that with a new project. The goal of Project Hope is to bring British Columbia up to a standard of care that's seen in other provinces across Canada. And what that means is ALS patients that are diagnosed in British Columbia, not only will they receive adequate clinical care, but access to clinical trials. Through a partnership with UBC and the provincial government, they are embarking on a journey to raise $5.3 million to serve as an endowment for an ALS chair at UBC. ALS is one of a group of neurodegenerative disorders, and there are a lot of people here working on neurodegeneration, uh, many different disorders. The funds raised will serve to recruit a new and bright medical professional to lead the program, 
integrating ALS clinical care and research out of UBC's Center for Brain Health. For advances to take place, you cannot really separate the clinical side and the basic side. You really have to pe have people who are working together, sharing information and, and allowing that information to flow back and forth in both directions. This ambitious program would allow British Columbians to contribute to the growing momentum of research to find a cure for ALS and provide hope to those living with the disease. And with over $3 million already raised, Brad is optimistic about the potential impact it could have on himself and others in the community. Access to these trials are things that could potentially slow down the progression of my disease or even reverse it. And that's what we're trying to change. Michael Newman, Global News. Called Project Hope for a reason. Good luck, Brad and the rest. All right, still ahead, how Canadians feel about the Queen. We've seen a drastic change uh, from the past year. A new survey shows declining popularity, but what, if anything, can be done about it? And in sports, the Canucks jump out to an early three-goal lead, but can they hold it? Following public input, TransLink says potential riders of the Burnaby Mountain Gondola overwhelmingly favor a straight shot from the Production Way University SkyTrain station to the bus exchange at SFU. That 2.7-kilometer trip has an estimated travel time of six minutes, a significant time saver over the current bus trip. While the proposed gondola project has received a lot of interest, there is still no budget for it, no funding, no approval process in place at this point. So we're not riding it next week? <laughs> not yet. All right. There's been a lot of coverage of the decline of B.C. salmon stocks, but one bright spot is highlighted in a new documentary. Linda Aylesworth talks to the man who has chronicled the comeback of Metro Vancouver's urban salmon and some of the many people responsible. That Fernando Lessa became a nature photographer isn't much of a surprise. As a boy in his native Brazil, he spent a lot of time fishing with his grandfather and developing a passion for the water. It was kind of natural uh, evolution for me. I would go and get a fish and go back home and say, oh, I got this fish and no one would believe me. He's like... I gotta get a camera. In Brazil, one of the most biologically diverse countries in the world, there was never a shortage of things to photograph. You walk in the river, and there's so many butterflies. The landscape is just amazing. I just love it. But it wasn't long after he arrived in his new home in Lynn Valley, BC, that he discovered something new to love. When I realized that there would be salmon in the, in the city, right in our backyard, that was just like, whoa. That was something totally new for me. When he saw his first salmon spawning in a shallow urban stream, he was amazed and assumed everyone in Vancouver must know about this phenomenon. But he was wrong. And when I realized that there was not something that people were aware, I, I say, OK, we got a story here. This must be shown. This must be documented. And so the Urban Salmon Project was born. It started with a book that featured many of Fernando's stunning photographs. From there, it grew into a documentary. The documentary is not just about fish, but it's about the people that volunteer their time to restore the rivers. And 
The Urban Salmon documentary, which premieres March 4th online, traces the history of urban salmon from before their streams were decimated by development to the present, where they're gradually coming back thanks to community-driven restoration projects. Well, I think it shows a really nice story, a successful story of bringing the fish back and maybe energize us so we can keep fighting and maybe for a brighter future for fish. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. They are amazing creatures, Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast as we say goodbye to February and hello to March. That's right, can't believe it's March 1st. 20 days away from spring, everyone, so we can make it, but don't worry. Winter's not over yet if you were hoping for a bit more snow. Uh, Here's a look at February quickly, though. Uh, Overall, we had some good precipitation one week leading up to Family Day weekend. Not too bad, but the highlights you see in red were the snowfall that landed right on Family Day weekend. What a gift. And when we looked at that snowfall tally, that actually doubled the average we would typically see through the month of February, which happened just in two days. So that was pretty incredible. Overall, for precipitation, though, we were below average and temperature. We were definitely below average with by 1.5 degrees and that was felt right across the province now we're in to march like a lamb yes we saw near seasonal to above seasonal conditions today we'll likely see that over the next few melting happening in through Kelowna and look at this from Pressy Lake that slab of snowfall with the moisture and the warming temperature acts cohesively and sort of moves off or slumps off of the roof look at these icicles rather dangerous situation there it looks like bill thank you for sharing that photo with us all right so precipitation moving on to the central coast northern parts of vancouver island but it's not going to touch down into metro vancouver and victoria if it does we would see a sprinkle or two overall we're going to see just dry conditions with that moisture staying to the north of us for the next two days so there's that rainfall for the north and central coast inland regions will see sunshine and we will still see some precipitation across the south coast it's going to be mainly north of metro vancouver Uh, northern parts of Vancouver Island and Sunshine Coast, although still a chance of showers, only about a 40% chance out through the Fraser Valley. So two days of pretty nice weather. Next set of rain is not set to push in until late Thursday. And I want you to note, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier, we do have the potential for much colder conditions to push in late next week. So winter is not over just yet. Don't change your snow tires. This is a great shot from English Bay. Daniel sending us that one. And uh, it is the um, Altocumulus Undulatus, which I had compared to the look of the sandbar and you can see it perfectly there it's like a mirror shot yeah very cool cool daniel thanks christy all right one of the longest sustained meteor sightings in recent memory was observed over the uk on sunday night the fireball lit up the sky over several parts of britain visible for more than seven seconds before it finally burned up in the atmosphere Hundreds of people reported hearing a sonic boom as the meteor streaked through the sky. It's better to burn out than fade away as... <laughs> Thanks, Neil Young. What was the band that... Uh, Neil there, Young. There. Neil Young, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Rust never sleeps. Rust <laughs> never sleeps. Uh, okay. Um, it looks like the five BC Western Hockey League teams will get a chance to play a short season. We're not sure what approval we have right now, but uh, it's certainly a step in the right direction. If all the criteria is met, the BC Division will try to play a 24 regular season season. Also coming up, is it time for the Royals to take a bow? A new survey shows Canadians aren't too mad about the monarchy.
Did you guys sort out your song thing? Well, it turns out Neil Young and Def Leppard have something in common, apparently, when it comes to that lyric. Better it's to a good out. lyric. It's yeah. a good lyric. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> That's right. All right. Good news for the WHL, maybe. Yes? We think. Well, we think so. Uh, after watching all the other Western Hockey League teams get the green light from their regions and their governments, the five BC teams in the WHL finally got, I guess, a tentative thumbs up to play a short two-month regular season that could start as early as later this month, depending on how things go. Ladies and gentlemen, here they are, your Vancouver Giants! It's been a long time coming, six days shy of a year to be exact, since the Vancouver Giants and the Western Hockey League's five BC teams last saw action. But there will be a season, and that's all that everyone's wanted, even if it's an abbreviated one that'll last just 24 games. With respect to the WHL, uh, their proposal has been uh, reviewed and, uh, and uh, I think uh, it's fair to say it's been accepted and, uh, and uh, we hope that the season will proceed. We expected something to happen sooner or later and so, so this is encouraging coming from uh, Minister Dix that, um, that uh, we will play and it's just a matter of what the details are and uh, we look forward to seeing those. Here's the shot, another shot, this guy! Not having the puck drop this season would have been devastating. The last Western Hockey League proposal presented to government was for two hub cities, Kamloops and Kelowna, to host the five teams, who'd travel back and forth so that teams wouldn't face the same competition game in and game out. The level our players are at and what, what the Western Hockey League is, is, is you know, the, these players all have a goal of playing pro hockey and um, to take a year of development out at that age, uh, sometimes is unrecoverable, and um, you know people could lose, will lose entire careers over this. So there, there's a lot at stake for a lot of these guys, and uh, you know the mental aspect of it's been talked about by many, and um, and I think uh, overall it, it, it's it's uh, it's a good step forward, and um, and let's uh, let's get going. Players will now return to their clubs in quarantine for two weeks. If all goes according to plan, play could begin the last week of March or the first week of April. Jay Janor, Global Sports. Now we don't know yet if the BCHL will also get the green light to run a short season. We should find that out tomorrow or Wednesday, which is good because they need a yay or nay soon. Like the Western Hockey League's BC division, the BCHL proposal also includes hubs, five different ones for the 17 based BC teams. Travel restrictions right now is the biggest hurdle. Just getting the teams to these hubs has to be approved. Well, he hasn't been traded yet, but they have been talking about it. Jake Sertanen and the Canucks in Winnipeg. Good start for the Canucks. Nate Schmidt's shot will be deflected in by an enemy stick, but it counts. one nothing for Vancouver. And then... Well, they were still celebrating that goal. Nate Schmidt takes another shot, and it gets deflected again, this time by a friendly sweater worn by J.T. Miller. So that makes it 2-0 for the Canucks. And the Jets are a team they don't often have good luck against. But before the first period was over, yet another goal and another deflection. Tyler Myers the shot. Nils Hoaglander finally gets rewarded after all his hard work this year. That's a power play goal, and Hoaglander's feeling it. This guy has scored the lacrosse or Michigan goal, if you like, in his past. He tries it there, but the puck rolls on him. Could have been 
spectacular. But Vancouver goes into the third period up by three. We're back. Yes, the Whitecaps are doing something different. Training camp in town at their uh, training center at UBC. This is where they'll get ready for the 2021 season. That'll pretty much see them spend the majority of the year based in Salt Lake City. And while being home is great for the players and the staff, there is one problem. They won't be able to play exhibition games. Uh, while a lot of the American teams are going to be able to, to play against each other in different places, us, it might be very hard to even play one exhibition game here just because of the challenges with COVID and, and, um, and some protocols that need to be in place. So that's the only negative part of having to stay in Vancouver. Defensive lineman J.J. Watt signing a deal in Arizona after a decade in Houston where he was one of the best players in the NFL for a number of years. He has been a bit injury prone since 2015. However, in Arizona, he'll be on a defensive line with Chandler Jones, who, when healthy, is also one of the best quarterback hunters in the NFL. So the Cardinals have high hopes with this signing. I wanted to show you this from the weekend. Aaliyah Andrews of LSU. Watch this catch. Flat out. That's like superhero jumping. She's been known in her career with the Tigers for making spectacular catches, and that is just another one to add to the audition tape. There we go. Full extension. Respect that. All right, thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. A Surrey man has been found murdered in Ontario. Police say 39-year-old Tyler Pratt was fatally shot in an industrial area of Hamilton. We'll tell you what police say he was doing in the greater Toronto area when he was killed. Plus, we'll dig deeper into the rent freeze the provincial government has extended through the end of the year, what it means for both renters and landlords. Those stories coming up tonight at 11. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. All right, when we come back, a new survey that shows a lot of Canadians are prepared to wave goodbye <laughs> to the Queen. What do you Well, new B.C. polls suggest more and more Canadians are ready to rethink our royal relationship. Kylie Stanton has more on what may be driving the shift to ditch the monarchy and reaction from those defending the Canadian crown. Between the crowds, bouquets and cameras, you'd think everyone everywhere was a fan of the monarchy. I like Queen Elizabeth. But according to a new poll by Research Co., more Canadians than ever are in favor of dropping the royal family. We've seen a drastic change uh, from the past year when it comes to how many people believe that we should have an elected head of state in the country. Of the 1,000 people surveyed, 45% said they would prefer an elected head of state. That's up 13 points from this time last year. I'm proud of Canada. 
I don't care about the monarchy. Only 24% of respondents said they want Canada to remain a monarchy. 19% said they didn't care either way, leaving 13% undecided. We have a reduction in those who don't care about this issue at all and an increase in those who believe that we should move to an elected head of state. It's interesting timing, with Prince Philip in hospital and the attention on Meghan and Harry's decision to step away from royal life. We all know what the British press can be like. And it was destroying my mental health. I was really? like, this is toxic. Your Majesty. On top of that, the latest season of The Crown, streaming on Netflix, doesn't necessarily paint the monarchy in a positive light. What does one have to do to get some kindness in this family? There might be too much drama, too much intrigue. It might be something that is very costly for Canadians. According to the Monarchist League of Canada, the Canadian Crown cost nearly $62.5 million in 2017-2018, what works out to $1.68 per Canadian. Compare that to other national institutions, like the House of Commons at more than $13, the Senate at $2.85, and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation coming in at nearly $33 per person. Monarchists say the value is clear. And as for the poll results... Sometimes people who will casually answer a poll and say, yeah, maybe we could have something else, when it comes down to it, they don't really think about the alternative. Still, it seems there's a lot of work to do to get a growing number of Canadians on side by revitalizing an institution entrenched in history. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Hmm. All this while Prince Philip mm -hmm. recovers. I just want to, I'm waiting for the next season. Yeah. The crown. Right. The crown. <laughs> a lot of people are waiting, aren't so they? So if there's no monarchy, there's no show. Well, they would still be there. They, I guess. There's still plenty of story to tell, I think. There's exactly. Centuries yeah. of history. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, beginning of March. Here we go. Beginning of March, two fairly nice days. I mean, I wouldn't rule out a sprinkler or two, but overall it should be dry for the next two days with a fair amount of cloud, but hopefully some breaks of blue sky. The next bout of rain not set to push in until late Thursday. So uh, sunglasses, dry weather. Wow. Enjoy it. Yeah. Figure out where I put them. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thank you for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Night, all.